Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome back to The O Show, episode 405 of the podcast, presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. You got two weeks left to pay for a membership. They're opening up the grand opening coming your way on September 21st. Learn from Floyd Money Mayweather's techniques, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. Again, you got two weeks to sign up for a membership and any other deal that they may be offering. Head to the website at mayweatherfit.com slash Scottsdale. We're also sponsored by betonline.ag. This Thursday night, the NFL opener between the Super Bowl champs the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and my Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football. Sign up for a 50% bonus, betonline.ag. We got a special one in the house today. I'm very pumped for this conversation, man, and you're all decked out, too. Suit, you got, you got the dress shoes on. I feel very underdressed because of you. No, you're the host. You can wear whatever you want, man. I'm but, the guest. Uh, I gotta... <laughs> David Johnson, thanks so much. For uh, coming in studio, man. I yeah, appreciate it. Great and, being here. And you just signed on to be with Star Worldwide Networks. We did, yes. Uh, Dave Pratt, and there, there was no selling involved. It was a great honor to be involved with the team and, and, and the family and the reach that he has, and what an honor. So I was telling you before, you know, we jumped on here about how I kind of started to gain a sense for what your show and what it's all about. You know, at Sneaky Big Studios here in Scottsdale, walked into a room, saw the giant David Johnson letters. I'm like, who's David Johnson, and why are these giant-ass block letters a part of his set? And I thought it was very unique, too. Well, I guess they finally paid off. Yeah, we have these, uh, we, we, we do the podcast much like you do, and we have the video aspect and uh, for season one and two in the background were these large, I mean, you know, eight, nine feet wide and three, four feet high letters that spelled out David Johnson for branding purposes and set you apart, things like that. I almost want my own block letters now. Well, if, I, if I were to have my own setup the way I want to, I'm going with the block letters. Hey, for a measly uh, $2,000, you can get them. Oh, my God. I really? know. It was well. I think it served a purpose because we went heavy on branding and trying to yeah. make a, a – we were nobody on the scene prior, so trying to make a splash, I think it was uh, money well spent. Wow. So I'm very excited to, again, pick your brain about certain things that you've done with your life, whether it was serving in the U.S. Army for – nearly five years, you know, doing your show now, interviewing veterans about some of their stories and some of their experiences, both good, bad, ugly, and different. Mm-hmm. Um, you went to ASU for three years after you served, correct? I did. I got out of the military, and you have college benefits if you served in the military. Okay. You have a GI Bill. So I went to ASU on the Army's dime and uh, graduated in 2010. Wow. So what did you study? Because, again, coming out of the U.S. Army, did you have a plan for what you wanted to do? Did I you had- have a plan before then? Uh, so before then was high school. So who really has a plan in high school? Nobody. But, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> so the plan was army. So we, yeah, it, it was cool. I, um, I, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, so I speak oh, wow. Arabic. So I actually joined the army under their language program, uh, right out of high school. And this is pre nine 11. So different world, you know, we're yeah. not at war yet. It was a peacetime military. So, uh, that was the plan out of high school. Did yes, six years in the army, and then got out. And it's kind of the thing to do. Let's let's go to college. Army's going to pay for it. They tell you when you get out. If you don't have a degree, go to college. So that that was the path. Now, were you like going into it? All right, I'm doing this because I want to be disciplined coming out of this. This is just the plan right now because I have no other plan. Like, army? were you ready for that? Um, or I was w- a big shock. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's always a little bit of a shock, no matter. What yeah, stage really of life prepared. you're in? Yeah. I mean, civilian and military is such a uh, big shift. But yeah, I mean, it was great. I don't. I mean, you know, you get used to it very quickly, and uh, it was a great life. I, I enjoyed it. So let's unpack. You know, you growing up in Saudi Arabia. So what did your parents do for a living? How did that all? So my dad went out? over there in early '80s for a one-year contract assignment uh, with with an American company. I mean, we're, you know, we're American. I'm like, Are you Saudi? No. So my dad went over there for a one-year contract assignment, and he ended up, like, staying 13, 14 years. Oh, my God. But it was two separate occasions. I, uh, I lived in Saudi Arabia when I was born to when I was five, and then again, like, 10 to 15, so two separate chunks of my life. Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, it must have been a different dynamic coming here then. It was. So I went to freshman. My freshman year of high school was in Saudi Arabia, and then we moved back. So I started sophomore 
uh, sophomore year of high school here in Phoenix. Wow. And then did the sophomore, junior, senior, then went to the Army. Now, it, it can get hot there in Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah, much certain, like Phoenix, yeah. Parts. Yeah, it gets hot for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, where I lived in Riyadh, it's, it's, it's like Phoenix. Summertime, 110, 115. Wow. So when you get here and, you know, you're going in the U.S. Army and you get there and, like you said, like, nobody's really ready. You know, like, you could be as prepared as hell. Like, my roommate's been training his ass off to go into pararescue for the better part of the last nine months. But when he right. gets there, it's going to be... You know, like you're in it, you're in the jungle. Like, what were some of those early experiences for you? Did you have, I don't want to say like second doubts, but like almost like, oh my God, I did not expect it to be this, you know, disciplined, this brutal at times. Um, I really didn't have a lot of expectations going into it, but then 9-11 happened. So, yeah. I, you know, I joined August 8th of 2000. 9-11 was September yeah, yeah, yeah. of 2001. So as soon as that happened, I remember, remember vividly my squad leaders like, he looks at everybody in the room. He's like, we're going to war. Before, I mean, he just knew it. And then we've spent the past 20 years at war. So would you say that first year was a lot more calm before we were attacked on uh, September 11th? Much different, yeah. Different everything. When, you know, a military at peacetime and a military at wartime is much different. When you're at wartime and now, you know, you fast forward, you know, 01 was 9-11, Afghanistan. 03 actually kicked off Iraq. And then 04, 05, 06, 07, all the way up to a couple months ago. I mean, we've seen what's happened, current events on the news with oh, Afghanistan, yeah. it's ending. So, you know, when you have a military at wartime for 20 years, your entire life revolves around either deploying, coming home and training, and then going deploying again. I mean, you, uh, your, your mission is to, you know, fight wars. You're a war fighter. So it's, it's a whole different mindset uh, then. And then, you know, when I served, I was in training, you know, when 9-11, for the first, you know, year plus I was in the military, I, I was in training before you get, you know, to your active duty unit or your, your, you know, your first duty station. So when you're in training, it's a lot different as well. And then when I showed up to my first duty station in February of 03, they're like, we're leaving to Iraq in two weeks. Get your, you know, get your affairs in order. Oh, my God. Wow. So I... When you left, because, I mean, I guess to go back to my earlier question of, like, being a, a culture shock in a sense, did you, again, go through the first month of training? That must have been yeah. difficult. Did you have to Boot camp, like the first month. Yeah, yeah boot camp. Boot camp, shaking yeah, yeah, your head, boot doing camp. All that Everybody stuff. thinks that boot camp is just more annoying than it. You wake up early. It, it, it's not like this. Is it them just trying to toughen you up? Yeah, I mean, you know. you down? And, I mean, the, the 32nd of the military is you join the military under a job. They call it an MOS, a yeah. military occupational specialty, like your roommate's going to go in for PJs. PJs is a very specific job in Air Force, and it's, it's under the Special Operations Command. Yeah. Uh, but you could join the Army to be a truck driver, to be a cook, to be a whatever. So when you go through, when you join the military, you go to, you know, boot camp or basic training. Then you go to your individual job training. They call it AIT. And then you get awarded a job, your, your, you know, whatever your job is. Then you, you get placed into a duty station somewhere throughout the world to actually do your job in a real unit. But, yeah, boot camp, to your, to your point, culture shock. I mean, it, it's, it's, it wasn't that bad, to be honest. Do they just try to break you down? In yeah, sense, they break like you down. You, you, you have to learn. Time? Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, they break you down, build you up. you got to learn how to work as a team. They teach you military doctrine and all the military customs and courtesies and how to march and how to stand at attention and all, and all that crap. And, you know, but in eight weeks or nine weeks, I totally, I mean, I went to boot camp 21 years. I forgot how long it lasts. But in eight, nine weeks, it's over. And you think you're the cool, coolest dude on the block. And then you get to your unit where guys and gals, you know, have been doing this for years, and you just, you're in the Army for six months, you know, you yeah. just graduated training, you think you're the coolest dude on the block, you get to your unit, and then life starts. Wow. So do you take any of those experiences and bring them into your life now? Like, for sure. Again, just like, what was the worst thing that anybody ever said to you? Again, like, oh. going through training. Or did you uh, block that part out uh, of your life? The worst thing anybody ever said, I don't know about, I mean, we've had some, we had some tough training, but, yeah. but I don't remember a, a specific verbiage or, and I was in a special operations unit, so it was a lot more, once you made it and you're in the unit, it was a lot more kind of gentleman style, nobody's getting yelled at, just you're a professional and we have a job to do. Yeah, I, and I feel like every branch could be different in that sense. Because you've interviewed yeah. some Marines and some of those stories were just insane. Yeah, so our podcast is military veteran related. We've had, uh, you know, Marines. We had the interrogator that is publicly recognized yeah. by the Department of Defense that gathered all the intelligence 
that led to the arrest of Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've done about 22 episodes, and uh, we've had a, lot, a wide range of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to the one with the Marine rapper. He had those two guys talking about, you know, uh, overcoming their fear, in a sense, when they're in combat. Mm. That was very intriguing to the me. Science. I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, some of your own personal experiences, you know, in certain situations that you may have been in the U.S. Army and overcoming, not fear in a sense, but like maybe anxiety and fear together. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's a lot to talk about. But as far as that, I spent uh, three tours to Iraq, 03, 04, and 05. You know, the initial wave into Iraq was in March of 2003. Mm. I had my 21st, 22nd, 23rd birthday in Iraq. Um, again, oh. back, you know, a long time ago. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you remember it like it's yesterday. I mean, there's visions and smells and that you just, you just never get out of your head. Wow. So. Yeah, I kind of wanted to unpack, unpack some of that, yeah. if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Some of your experiences that you had that, again, changed your mentality both for the better, maybe at the time, again, that shock factor that, like, oh, my God, this traumatic experience. I can't believe this is happening right now. I can't believe yeah. I'm here. But at the same time, you take you look back now and think, wow, I'm so grateful for everything that I have and what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, there's obviously, I think, a certain level of trauma that comes with it. Yeah. Um, you, you're not, you, don't, you don't go to war and then come back the same person. I'm not saying you're completely good or bad, but you're, you're on some end of the spectrum. I, mean, I don't know anybody that has gone to war. And to, to be honest, man, I just did six years and got out. A lot of my team members... You know, they, they did six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven deployments. And uh, you can't do that stuff and be normal, especially the type of stuff we did. You know, I was in a special operations unit, a lot of times plain clothes, grow our hair out. We didn't, we didn't look like your traditional mother army, as we mm, called it. Yeah. Um, you know, we were running different front companies in Baghdad. We had, like, you know, cigarette stand, a car, car mechanic shop, and we were, you know, funding these front companies and... The, the people that ran these companies were locals and infiltrating the different terrorist cells in the city, and then they were reporting back to us, and we were putting together target packages on uh, who they were reporting back on, and then doing a hit or a raid uh, to go after you know who they were reporting on. Wow. But yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, that's insane to me. And again, those I forget their names, but the two uh, guys that you're talking about, you know, yeah, going into combat and Jerry overcoming. And Blake Peterson. Yes. And, you know, they're talking about, again, overcoming some of these certain obstacles mentally in order to prepare you for doing something that, in some retrospect, some would consider unforgivable, you know? Like, you're trained to be a killer, in a sense. And he talks about that, and he calls it the empathy link. And he was in Vietnam in a, in a unit that saw a lot of combat, the 173rd Airborne Division. And, I mean, he had countless ambushes, and it, when he got out, and even when he was in, he, and he said it on the podcast about, you know, why do some people choke up and stall in fear, and other people will just charge the enemy, mm -hmm. or whatever have you, and how does that relate to things? And he got out, and he spent, I mean, 20, I think 25, 30 years studying the science of combat, the science of fear, you know, what he calls this, this empathy link, and the empathy factor and how, you know, you're a soldier, it's your, it's your job to go do that, and they kind of turn it off, and so, it, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Are you still in touch with most of the guys that you served with? Because I feel um, like a lot. Some, some of it could be a brotherhood, some of it, uh, it, it It's a strong brotherhood, and yes, a lot, a lot I am. Uh, Facebook brought back a lot of that. You know, I got out right. in 06. I didn't even have a Facebook account then. I, didn't, I don't even think I had a cell phone back then. So it was, it was harder in 2006 to maintain tabs, but actually Facebook brought a lot of that back. And believe it or not, I, when I launched the podcast last year, some people saw it and then reached out to me, hey, congrats, we haven't seen you in a long time, and so that, that felt pretty good. So when you decide to leave the U.S. Army, uh -huh. like you said, some guys serve way more terms than, you know, you did. You got out six years. Correct. What's that process like, and why did you decide to leave then and there? You know, I remember, I don't, I don't know 100% why I, I got out. Uh, I, I remember being in Iraq one night. I was actually online uh, sending my mom an email, I think, and something just said, get out. I wanted to, mm -hmm. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to give that a shot. Uh, I could always have gone back in the military after I graduated college, but... Yeah, I wanted to get out, and back then it was very simple. You, you take a few classes, you get some paperwork signed, and you got to sit through some briefings on 
this is how you write a resume, and this is this, this is that, and you get a slap on the ass, and thanks for playing, and you walk out the front door, you drive off base, and you never come back. Yeah, I mean, and when, like you said, in high school, didn't really have a plan, nobody really does, mm. and if you do, it usually doesn't work out. You know, there's very few people yeah. that are like, Derek Jeter, I want to be the shortstop of the New York Yankees, and actually did it, Yeah, you know, but um, <laughs> when did you decide, you know, whether it be, you know, the businesses that you've started or even the David Johnson show, like when did you know that that was something that you wanted to I do? I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur within the first year of getting out. Um, within the first year or so. First, I, at first I thought I wanted to go into some kind of medical field, so I shadowed a dentist around for a day, and I'm like, no way. No. Uh, then I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist. That lasted uh, about a morning before lunch. <laughs> and then uh, I immediately knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I actually met a guy here in town. Uh, who mentored me. He had, a pro, he had a big real estate development project that he owned, and, and he kind of mentored me just on business and entrepreneurship. That's when I was going to ASU. Yeah. And then that's when I said, yep, I, I, I have to be an entrepreneur. I have to be in business with myself, uh, for myself. And uh, that was 11, 12 years ago. Yeah, you got to feed yourself. You got to feed your family. and like It's tough. You were talking to another guy about, you know, businesses, hiring veterans right like what's on your resume what can you do like right i'm grateful that you serve like thank you for all that you've done Thanks but it for means your, your jack shit but like what can you actually provide us and our company well two things i mean one about the feeding yeah people don't understand that everybody wants to be an entrepreneur until it's time to do entrepreneurship and maybe you got to not eat dinner for many months at a time i mean yeah. i can i mean you know i can't even tell you the financial struggles that i went through in oh uh, i mean you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, for, for many months at a time consecutively of just the financial hardship. And not because I'm lazy or anything. I mean, I'm trying to get businesses off the ground. It's hard. It's hard, yeah. So, I mean, we could do a whole, a whole topic on entrepreneurship. But then to your point about veterans, I mean, there are some veterans that have this mentality of, oh, I'm a veteran. I just, you, you don't deserve anything. Like, you, you're out now. You know, thanks for playing. Appreciate your service. Okay, we, we, we salute you, but you got to go find your what's next. And just because you did six, five, 10, 20 years in the Army does not mean some organization is just going to hire you. And I have a lot of guys that I'm talking to now, people that I, I just had this conversation uh, literally two months ago. My former uh, captain, team leader, he's, he's, uh, he's here and he's getting out. This guy is 22 years in, went to Harvard, complete just leader. I mean, best of the best. And he's like, very few people are even giving me the time of day. Wow. And that's a very impressive resume in its own right. Super impressive resume, but it's all military related. But he has, and then we were talking, and we had another podcast that talked about this, you know, skills versus abilities. I mean, he, he, so, he, you know, he has the ability to go in and be an asset to an organization. He might have to learn what that organization does. Maybe he doesn't have a 10-year background in X, but he can learn that and has the ability to be a great asset to any organization. Now, when you're going through some of those financial struggles that you mm -hmm. mentioned before, like in the trenches with that, you know, like that could be very frustrating. Like me alone, like if I have $100 to my name, I'm like, oh my God, like I don't want to ask my mom for money. Right. You know, like it's like the worst <laughs> feeling in the world. Right. Now, when you're going through that, do you think like maybe I should have gone to school first or are you one of those guys so that I say did, everything happens for a reason? Well, I did, I did go to oh, school before the army? Yeah. Oh, college before the army. That way you had, you know, at least a degree that people can see, like, okay, like, you went to school for business. Yeah, but even, even, I mean, you know, even a degree in business and this and that, I know plenty of people with business degrees that have failed in entrepreneurship. I mean, I think there's a huge difference between a, a, a college education and being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, I mean, everything I've learned on the entrepreneur side has been doing it, building companies, failing, learning, failing, learning, so I, I, I don't think a, a degree before or after the Army, I think the Army gave me more advantage in entrepreneurship than college ever did. Mm. Army gave me the grit to, to, to grind it out. Uh, you know, it, it could be scary at times when you got a hundred bucks to your name. I was driving to the hospital to deliver my son with negative $10 to my name. That mm. is a fact. Mm. Negative. That was May 6, 2000, May 5th. He was born May 6, 2000. Well, 13, my apologies. Wow. Right after my tech company went under six months prior. I had 12 employees, yada, 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 crashed and burned. As a new father, though, do you block that out of your head when it's supposed to be the greatest uh, day of your life? Or do you was, think, like, oh, how am I going to do this? this I mean, I gained a bunch of weight and sleep. It was stressful. It, it was tough. 
did you know right off the bat, like, you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you were building these businesses, you were succeeding, failing, you know, did you always know that you wanted to give back to veterans? I did, yeah, and I always did. I always, uh, I mentored veterans here at ASU in the student veteran program, usually one-on-one, and then I actually took a couple years off from anything veteran-related because of the the company that I own and operate today was getting it off the ground, Mm. Um, and then last year... Things were great. I'm like, yeah, let me start a podcast. And went home. Went, now we're going down that rabbit hole. Right. I mean, with the show, again, I've been watching it for the better part since you started early last year in 2020. Was Thank Did you. it start out as, I mean, a lot of people started podcasts because it was like a COVID project. Right, right. But with your show, you went all in. You had producers. You Correct. had cameras. Like, it was, it was a legit show, a legit talk show. It was. It, it, it started very, it was just supposed to be a passion project. I, there was really no plan on anything. I, I you know, the, the, the producer, I had the idea, I'm talking to the producer, and he basically said, okay, we're going to rent out the studio, you know, I'll bring all the technical stuff, cameras, lights, you just bring guests on. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that sounds easy enough. And we did 10 episodes in 48 hours. So from a Sunday night at 7.30 to a Tuesday at 7.30, we filmed 10 one-hour episodes. Now, holding conversations with people and being curious, I think, is the best part about that. But for you as a new host, how difficult was that adjusting to on camera and just having it was, conversations? It was difficult. Yeah, there were parts that were uncomfortable. And I remember one episode we filmed, we scrapped it, we filmed it again. I mean, it was, wow. yeah, it was, it was, uh... I remember a conversation vividly. I'm talking to a producer. I'm not good at, like, reading lines and memorizing stuff. Like, you were just talking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you put a little bit of prep into this as I put prep into mine, but we're just talking. And, you wouldn't know it. Right. And I'm, yeah, you're <laughs> like, you're good at it. I could tell already that just talking. I think I'm okay at that. When I have to memorize stuff or read yeah. stuff, I screw it up. And I was, we were, we were doing something one time, and I was reading this thing. This is the two days before filming, so we're going to do this big intro and everything. And the producer's like wow, you might actually suck at this. Really? And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> never want to hear that. Yeah, guys, because I'm like, I've never been on camera. I've never done anything. And he, he literally said, he's like, dude, you might actually really suck at this. I'm like, oh, thanks. Oh, my God. So then I just scrapped all the writing, and I'm like, the only way this is ever going to work is if I just do it my own way. I can't read anything. Don't tell me what to say. I'll just do it myself. That's the only way to do it, I feel like. Yeah. Because when it becomes a Q&A, it's just not an interesting conversation. And it's not a conversation at all. You're just asking a question and being like, wow, that was cool. And on I, to my next scripted question. question and I, I had to learn that too. Yeah, it has to be more conversational. Especially with the guys that you're talking to. Like, right. if you want to get the, I don't want to say like content that you want because they are real stories and they went through traumatic experiences, as did you, but like you want to have that conversation and have them open up about some be of those things it, yeah. that they experienced. For sure. Because not only is it fun stuff to talk about, it looks great on camera, but at the same time, people listening to that that may have gone through the same experiences are looking at that and being like, they can share their story, maybe so can I. Right. So how have you gone, you know, the past year and a half when it comes to having normal conversations? Has your producer said anything? Has he given uh, any So he's not the same producer. He did season one. Okay. And then season two was that Sneaky Big here in town. Yep. Big shout out to Sneaky Big. Yeah. And then season three is at another location and hopefully it was going to be more, more of a permanent home for us. Um, you know, sneaky, big, phenomenal work, you know, and it comes to the price Phenomenal tag. work with a phenomenal <laughs> price tag. And that's not a knock at them. They're great. I'm just not that, uh, they're, you know, they're bigger clients. There's better ways to do it. Networks, and they do bigger stuff, and I, I'm, not that, I'm not that big to, <laughs> to be playing in the sneaky, big world. So the more that you've, you know, gone into this show and talking to people, is it more like, this is something I'm passionate about. I love having conversations with people. I'm pumped to get to the studio and have some of these guys on my show. Super passionate about it. Uh, and, and, and passionate about it because it's, it's actually catching on on a small level. Um, I'm seeing feedback. I'm seeing the analytics. I'm seeing people reach out. And, you know, we had one guy, Billy, uh, never met him. Never met him. Never had an introduction to the guy. He's like, yeah, my wife and I listen to uh, your podcast literally every single night before bed. Because there's an there's a episode there that talks about suicide and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, I mean, so it, it's, it's working. So that, that part feels good, uh, that the community is getting something from it. So that feels good. And then I had to, last year, very rapidly put a lot more brain power behind it. How is it going to work? 
from every angle, you know, from guests, scheduling, funding it, you know, it became, it, what started as a passion project very rapidly turned into a full-time job. Which is amazing. And that's an awesome feeling when you find out, like, people are engaging with this. People right. are passionate about the message that you're providing, the message right. that your guests are providing. And now people want to be aboard, whether it be sponsorships or, you know, other partnerships business-wise. Because now it's a job. Yeah, it's a, it's a job that nobody's getting paid at yet. But, but <laughs> yeah, it, it turned into a full-time time commitment, I should say. Maybe job was the wrong word. But I'm, I'm hoping to turn it into at least, you know, have it profitable from a sponsorship standpoint. Because the only reason I want – well. One of the prerequisites for me of wanting to start it was a, a decent level of production. I could yeah. have had the same guest, you know, in my basement with my iPhone. I didn't want to do that. So I, I knew I had to commit to a, like this, you know, it's a good level of production, yeah. very quality. I knew I had to bring that to the table. Oh, 100%. Cameras, audio. I started with this. It was yeah. like a voice memo app on my phone for oh, about no a kidding. year and a half. Okay. That's how I did my interviews. Ah. I would call people and use the app on the exact same device. And sometimes I would be a little bit sketchy. And then, you know, you go <laughs> a to little Zoom, bit sketchy, yeah. you go to Skype. And then uh, one day, like I told you before, I interviewed Dave Pratt. And now we're here in this studio. That's awesome. So, you know, like, keep going. Well, you're you doing never it. quit. Yeah, you're doing it right. And episode, I mean, you're way into it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I started awesome. freshman year in college. Wow. And I knew, like, from day one, I'm like, I'm going to do this until I either die so, or I get into a contract negotiation where they screw me over. So why did you... might happen. Yeah, my, why did you start doing it back in college? Because, again, broadcast journalism major. I wanted to be oh, a sportscaster. Yeah. And having the idea of having a podcast, like your own talk show, like, that's every journalist kid's dream, you know? Yeah. Why not start it? And I remember setting up, like, this little studio in my basement bar area that my dad had with a giant screen. You start interviewing people. The interviews suck the first 50 episodes. And when you get into it, again, like, you develop over time. And just having this show has helped me grow not only as a podcast or an interviewer, but as an overall human being. That's all. Yeah, likewise. Did you, uh, having a degree in broadcast journalism, directly then help you to this? And it's like a related feel, maybe? No. And here's why. It could have. You know, like, I could look at my degree and be like, here's what I've done. Here's what I've experienced so far. Give me a shot. This was way more organic. And I, if you told me four years ago that this is where I'd be, you know, talking to you in a studio right now in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm originally from Jersey. Uh. And I'm like, I would not have dreamed in a million years that huh. I could get to this point, you know? Mm. So it's all been organic. Reach out to people that I want to talk to. Some people ignore you. Some people are like, yeah, totally, man. Like, you never know who's going to come on, whether it be, you know, entrepreneurs such as yourself or actors or big-time athletes, you know? Yeah. You never know who you're going to get in contact with. That's cool. And if you keep posting stuff, you know, consistently, people are going to start to latch on, Consistent which they've done content. with you. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, part, that's, that's a big... That's one of the biggest factors is consistent content, quality content, but being consistent, as you know. Oh, yeah. And when you started your show, you knew right off the bat, like, this has to be high-quality looking and well-produced. That, that, was, that was the prerequisite, yeah. Otherwise, I didn't want to get into it. Because there's so many people that just start shows in their basement. Right. And but they, they not a knock at them. There's nothing bad about that. I just personally didn't want to go down that route. Um, I don't think it grows that way, personally. It, it's harder. It's much harder. Yeah, because low quality content, people can't sit there and listen to it for an hour. They can't, and it, yeah, it's well. The answer is yes. Yeah, it, it's hard to catch on. Well, it's hard enough to catch on, anyways. I and mean, with what two million or whatever the number is podcasts out there, oh, if, yeah. if you're going to be the low person who's going to, and I actually wrote a blog on this. Uh, it, it, it's on our website about starting a podcast, and quality is one of the uh, things I touch on. And I feel like when you do that show in your basement, low quality, people are going to listen. And you as an entrepreneur going into it new, like, it has to be high quality because that's what the consumer is going to right. not only respect but almost expect. Right. And I had a decade of running businesses under my belt. I have a very, I think, you know, unless I'm just drinking my own Kool-Aid, I have a marketing mindset. Yeah. So I knew going into this, even though I can't even spell the word podcast, I, know, I knew if we're not going to do it top notch, then why even start to begin with? Mm. So that, that, was, that was the mindset. But then what happened was, you know, we filmed 10 episodes, you know, right off the bat in 48 hours. And then the Tuesday we broke from filming, 
that's the Tuesday Phoenix went into lockdown, March 17th or whatever that Tuesday was. So, yeah, let's go have pizza and beer. We're leaving the studio. There's like four of us. Everybody's pumped up and excited. Let's go celebrate. We walk out of the studio, lockdown. And then we started releasing about one episode every 10 days to two weeks, kind of just testing things out. So we have 10 episodes. I release four or five. We're still in lockdown, and it's catching on. We have five episodes can. We haven't launched yet, but the whole world's locked down. I'm like, I can't go back to a studio. So that's when I really, that was the kick in the ass to be like, you better start, you know, you better put a plan around this. I mean, at least you had 10 episodes to put out. You didn't want to, right. you know, adapt in a sense and go to Zoom or go to Skype. And um, well, luckily the world reopened. So we did film a season two at, at Sneaky Big. Yeah. But there was a time there where it was touch and go. And we, I looked into that. You had to do like a streaming, you know, live deal or whatever. Because I went home to the Jersey, New York area, tri-state area, and we were in lockdown for what felt like 10 years. Because yeah. Phoenix opened prior yes, in May, sir. right? Yeah. It was like a good month after everybody went down in right. lockdown. You guys, yeah. That's crazy. The whole country, every state does it different. Oh, my God. So a year and a half now into the show, what's the, uh, the most inspiring story Ooh. someone's ever had on the show that made you walk away and think, like, this is why I love doing this. Like, this is awesome. You know, some, some people were just, you know, subject matter experts in their field, so it was just good content, educational content to listen to. I still go back to one of the best ones we did was season one, episode one. Uh, it's the largest viewed one on our YouTube channel, and it, about close to 60,000 views, and it was, I say this regular dude, but just a regular dude, he did 20 years in the Army, 10 different deployments, mm. and he had just, he was fresh out of the Army at the time, like three, four months out of the Army, and he just came on and just laid it all out. Very emotional, very uh, raw, funny, all, everything. So that, that was a... That was and that a, was during your kind of mediocre interviewing days. <laughs> As a host. Medi- I'm, I'm still a little bit mediocre, but... Uh, but if that's yeah, the yeah. most viewed episode, how does that producer say, like, maybe you suck at this? Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was prior to us filming. Look but, at the yeah. facts, man. Yeah, right? Wow. So what did he talk yeah, about Numbers don't lie. Um, what did you ask him, you know, as an interviewer, being your first on-camera interview? Uh, how did you navigate that? It was... We, so every... There was a theme to the show. Every kind of... Every show has a theme or at least a direction I want to take it. So I knew the theme of the show, and since I served in the Army, I could ask Army questions. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, uh, we're speaking some foreign language to each other, and we, we got into a groove, but he carried it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He, he carried the episode because he's very dynamic and funny, and he is a part-time comedian, stand-up on the side, literally. Really? So he, he brought that, you know, energy to the table. So, think, you know, a lot of it has to do with who your guest is, too. And if your guest is a bump on a log, you could ask, you could try being as engaging as you want, but the in- interview is probably going to be a little iffy. Like quick yes, no answers. Yeah, I mean they got to bring some sort of energy to the table, and I try to match that energy, or I'll feed off their energy, and I'll always kind of have questions where I want to go, and an hour is gone before you know it. Yeah, I mean I've had some of those guests where it's just like, yeah, that was a great experience. I'm like, you, you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> All right. Right, like I'm setting right. you up right here. You got to carry this uh, this podcast right now. Yeah, how am I doing? You know? Great so far. Okay, good. There's a lot of room for error though, so <laughs> don't get too high on yourself. Uh, okay, good. Uh, but yeah, to kind of touch on, you know, he's a comedian on the side. Yeah, you guys are having a great conversation. When you served, um, did you have a mix of different personalities that you were, you know, the guys that you were with while you were serving, or was it more like uh, here's our plan, here's our mindset, here's our personality? Everybody does have a common mindset. But there's a mix of personalities for sure, a mix of backgrounds, ethnicities, where everybody's from, um, but definitely kind of similar mindset, uh, especially in the days of constant deployments. We were on cycles. Yeah. So you deploy, you come home, and you just go through these cycles. And when you're deployed, I mean, you know, you, and, you know a lot of guys don't always turn off that mindset when you come back home. You, you kind of stay in that amped up zone, um, and then you deploy again. Did you have any friends, or even you in your own experience, experience any PTSD from anything that you experienced when you came home? Uh, yeah, PTSD is a broad term, I think, and they're starting to define it more. Right. But y- yes, to a certain degree, yeah. Like, when I first got home, I would not drive on the sides of the road. I'd have to drive in the middle. Uh, oh. You never drive on the sides of the road. And in Iraq, they put bombs on the sides of the road and just little stuff like that. I'd check every door in my house literally three times before I went to bed. 
had to sleep with a gun by my side. I carried a gun with me for the first three, four years when I got out everywhere. Could not go to sleep unless a gun was by my side. It was a mental thing. Um, so that, that has effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for How sure. long did before you, know, you kind of settled down and got back into that normal mindset of being at home? Uh, it took a couple of years, and really when I latched on to my, I call it the what's next. I, entrepreneurship was my what's next. So I dumped a lot of energy, thought, time. All, I was all consumed by that. Then I, I launched a tech startup in 2010 here in town. Uh, yeah, 2010. So I dumped all my energy into that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you have to. Yeah, you have right? to. Or yeah. else you're going to be, like you said, like $10 in debt or well, the, the odds of success in entrepreneurship are low as it is, especially in the... And, you know, back in those days, you know, I was like, I was reading everything I can read on entrepreneurship, and this is the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, 2006, 7, 8, 9, everything was tech. You know, Facebook, social, and, you know, all that stuff. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur, because that's the only entrepreneur there is. And um, I was wrong, but started a, te- yeah, a tech startup in 2010, ultimately got up to about 12 employees but that's a company that failed. Um, so, to, yeah, to your point about you got to go all in, you do, because your odds of success are low as it is. I mean, all the odds are against you anyways, and if you don't go all in, you're just even that much more stacked against you. So when you go through these failures, you know, coming out of, you know, serving in the U.S. Army, and again, you're trying to be an entrepreneur, but it's hard. Right. Was it more of people not buying into what you were believing in and what you were selling, or was it, you know, a mixture of just not being able to finance it? Uh, D, all the above to a certain extent. Um, I think entrepreneurship comes in many forms, and I've used this example a lot. You know, my former, at this point, you know, pest control guy, he owns his own company. I consider that an entrepreneur. You know, I think a lot of people might have the entrepreneurial mindset of maybe, you know, you're a self-starter, you're creative, and you know, all that bullshit, but... I don't think that means you're an entrepreneur. Okay, if you're number 80 at a 200-person, if you're employee 80 at a 200-person company, I would not consider that an entrepreneur. Again, you can have entrepreneurial qualities, but to me, and this is just my own opinion, you know, being being an entrepreneur is, you know, you're relying on you, yourself, or a team of people that you put together for your dinner at night. And then there's lifestyle entrepreneurs, there's entrepreneurs that want to scale, like, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world that built Facebook, you know, that's a, you know, a tech company at scale. Um, but what was the question again? Damn it, I'm going on this <laughs> rant rave about entrepreneurship. And no, I, just about, oh, you know, why the company failed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry, man. Um, you're getting there. Well, thank you. It's a story. I, I was totally on You're this. almost at the climax. Yeah, okay, good. Get a little cliffhanger. So... But I bit off more than I can chew. I'm like, I'm going to go be this tech entrepreneur. I'm going to build this phenomenal. Because all the entrepreneur.com and all the magazines I was reading, it was all tech and yada, yada, yada. I had no business being the CEO of a tech startup. I'm not a software engineer. I had to go hire three of them. And then they would fight and one would tell me this, the other, and I had no clue who to believe. I can't read code. I can't test your code. I can't QA your code. I got to rely on 10 other people. So I personally bit off more than I could chew at the time. Um, So the company failed. It was not a lack of funding. Uh, We did ultimately run out of money, but the company did not fail because of a lack of funding. Company failed because I made every wrong decision under the book, and I had no business running that company at age 28. But looking back at that now, you got to appreciate it because I feel like there's no better way in learning than throwing yourself in the fire and being like, okay, my back's against the wall. I have no choice but to learn this. Well, it's funny because the company failed after I was running it for two and a half, three years full time. And like company failed, didn't get out of bed for a week, sick to my stomach, just couldn't even move. And then like on day eight, I'm like, well, shit, I should have done that. I could have done that. And and it's just like every lesson I needed to learn just hit me that parlayed, if that's the right word, or yeah. into my next business. Um, so, I, I, yeah. It was a, a weird but, in a way, successful launching pad into right. kind of figuring out what you wanted to do next. So true. Wow. Yeah. So now, 100%. as a successful entrepreneur, what's it like, you know, navigating and working with not only employees but other businesses, and how do you what, – what's your main message and your main vision when it comes to your business specifically? So I have two businesses now, um, and I really analyzed who, what I wanted out of life. 
after that first company failed. And I'm more of the lifestyle entrepreneur. I'm never going to scale and take a company public or be the CEO of a $100 million. That's just not going to happen. As bad as it sounds, I don't want to work that hard. I want to take Fridays off. I want to go on 30, 40, 60 vacation days a year. Um, and, and that's the life I'm, you know, well, that's the life I want to live. So when I got out of the tech stuff, I really, and I, I asked many people, very successful people in their older age, I said, if you could go back to your company, you know, 20 years ago, would you have rather gone the smaller route? Like you're still personally making three, four, five hundred thousand a year, but you have more time off and a lot more freedom? Or would you have gone this route where you got offices in four different states, you got all these, and almost unanimously, every single one of them said they, they would have gone the smaller route. Really? And that's the route I went. So I, 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 but I switched industries going into my next venture. I got out of tech um, and got into more healthcare and healthcare management. But yeah, I got 40 some clients. Um, life is good. I mean, we did take a, a hit during the uh, last year during the, during the pandemic, lost about 37% of my revenue overnight. So I kind of had to figure that out. But uh, it's more about lifestyle now. Right. I mean, you're doing what you love, which I feel like if you do what you love, like you're going to succeed in the long sure. run at very least. Yeah. But, you know, you want your time as well. Do you have a lot of hobbies? What, what do you do in your free time? Well, the podcast is the hobby now. I mean, prior to the podcast. Amen. I was, I was <laughs> it's been my hobby for the past yeah, four years. But it's a, it's a, it's so it's a it's a huge time commitment, as you know. Yeah. So, you know, I had the company in healthcare that I, you know, started in 2015 and then I just started the podcast last year. So from 15 to 20. I was getting that company off the ground, and, and then uh, the podcast is the hobby now. You don't, like, snowboard or anything? or uh, Scuba dive, very infrequent. Really? I mean, I, I can't say. I mean, my girlfriend and I want to get back into that. Uh, we, <laughs> we did go scuba diving in Mexico last month or the month prior or something. Nice. I don't know. But just travel more. I mean, obviously, during the pandemic, you can't. But uh, just get back out traveling again. I was going to say you like traveling. I do. What's the most interesting place you've been to? Uh, well, recently, well, a relative term, but right before COVID, uh, Australia did 14 nice. days in Australia. Yeah, that was cool. There's got to be a lot of cool, you know, stories coming out from different ends of the spectrum, whether it be Australia, go to South America. You know, do you have any plans to travel moving forward when everything's, you know, oh, yeah. squared away in a sense? Oh, like, for sure. What do you want to accomplish there? Just whether it be hanging out or business ventures? Uh, travel. I mean, just personal hangout. I mean, always wake up. Got to check emails if you're in business for yourself. You can never 100% maybe get away no. from it. But, uh, you know, like I, I did Australia. That was my first ever solo vacation. Literally jumped on a plane, went out to Australia by myself. Just let's go. Wow, really? You got to do it. Do you like doing independent stuff like that? Uh, it was the first thing I've ever done on that scale. I do. I, I am very comfortable alone, I, you know, I, so yes, but... That was the first uh, trip like that ever. I'm the same way. I feel like you have to get away and get, you know, alone time in a oh, sense yeah. in order to, like, figure stuff out, especially if you are going into business for yourself, being an entrepreneur. Like, you, you need, need to get your head downtime. straight, right? Oh, my God. I, I used yeah. to go to Yankee games at Yankee Stadium by myself all the time. People thought yeah. I was crazy. I always eat out at restaurants by myself. Oh, I, Went to I, First Watch this morning by myself. <laughs> Got breakfast. Love which one? Scott, which First Watch? Oh, there's like 12 here. I, yeah. Glendale, maybe? Oh, okay, I love First Watch. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I eat out all the time by myself. Yeah, I mean, I'm working on potential sponsorship deals with Longhorn Steakhouse because I eat there at least once a week. Get a nice ribeye. You know, you, you get to learn... You know, the ways you get to meet all the waiters, all the waitresses. Yeah. They give you free appetizers, maybe free meals every yeah, now and then. Oh, yeah. Get to know the manager, have some conversations. Yeah. The next thing you know, like, yeah, you, you never know where it could lead. That, that, yeah, you never know. I got to pick your brain on all that stuff, by the way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we're, I could talk to you, like, for four hours if I wanted to here. <laughs> but uh, I'll ask you a few more questions. Yeah. I don't take too much of your time. No. I feel like you're dressed up for a reason. It's not just for me. Uh, it, it's 99% because of you. What's the 1%? I did have a meeting uh, before I came uh, here, but it was 99% because of you. Nice. I appreciate <laughs> that, man. So moving forward with the podcast, do you have any specific guests in mind when it comes to certain veterans? Yeah. So, I mean, not any one particular person in mind, per se. Um, we do have some themes that we want to do, a theme like on amputees, theme on mental health. Uh, I have a gentleman I've talked to, his country's leading, he's using like these different drugs and psychedelics to help veterans with PTSD mm. as opposed to the traditional route that maybe the VA and hospitals put you into. So, 
Yeah, we film, uh, we're going to film three episodes a month minimum for the next six months. So we're, we're just putting feelers out of uh, guests and people are reaching out and making intros. And so, Do you find it uh, fun being a part of that creative side, like making intro videos and editing stuff? Or are you just more like, here's the microphone, I'm just going to sit down and talk and leave that stuff to you guys? Uh, that's a great question. I do find it fun. I'm not really an artsy guy. Mm -hmm. I want to be more of the marketing guy, I think. I, I, want to, I would love to have a team to just handle the creative from that, what you just mentioned, because, you know, people that don't know, there's a lot of creative that goes into a podcast and a lot of moving parts from maybe the intro, sponsors, you know, editing it, even though it might be minimal, it's still a lot of moving parts, and I would love to get out of that as much as possible, to be honest. Really? Yeah. See, I'm the exact opposite. Oh, really? This is the first, so the logo you see here yeah. uh, was designed by Hank. I'll give him credit. Uh, it's like logo 13 for me in 14 <laughs> years, or in four years. I'm constantly changing it. it wow. might, this show might not ever grow because nobody can ever find it because the logo's constantly changing. <laughs> That's, I uh, love the creative process. Yeah. Who, who does your, how do you do your, who does your intro? That would be Zach. So I got to give him credit too. There he is waving. Zach, we need help with an intro. I got an idea. I need to run it by you. See, now I'm, you know, I'm getting you business. <laughs> getting you business. How could I help you? Exactly. <laughs> That's probably something you learned as an entrepreneur as well. Yeah. It's about helping others as opposed to helping yourself. You have to. Yeah, listen. How can I help you? It's, it's almost as like you build those relationships, and as long as you're doing it honestly and genuinely, yeah. helping others, that's going to help you grow in the long run. Well, term. especially with an entrepreneur, it's like, if word gets out, especially in the industry I'm in, this employee benefit healthcare industry, if, if word gets out that you suck and you're not honest, you're done. Like, you know, you'll never get clients. Nobody will want to work with you. You're, you're done. You got to do what you say and say what you're going to do. It almost kind of, not really, but I'm kind of connecting the dots with the interview, with the interview that you had with the investigator, you know, building trust or like finding that level of oh, trust, right? Uh, uh -huh. I, I like that. Kind of touch on that in that interview and like uh, where you were trying to you do go attention. with that interview. Yeah, I'm I mean, impressed. it was very interesting, especially because, again, gaining trust, I think, is one of the more important key factors, not only in business, just in life in general, having yeah. relationships with people. So, uh, yeah, to, to briefly touch on that, Eric Maddox, season two, episode one, uh, form, uh, form, uh, former Army-trained interrogator. Iraq kicked off. He was on the initial team that went to Baghdad. He was attached to the special operations team specifically tasked with finding high-level Iraqi targets. Saddam mm. Hussein, the former president of Iraq, being one of them. He spent six months interrogating countless prisoners and put all the intelligence together that led to the arrest of Saddam Hussein. And what he said was, uh, it's a long story, but to paraphrase it is, you had to earn the trust of your prisoner. Because back then, they kind of knew the prisoners in Iraq in that war, it wasn't like we caught them on a battlefield and they're wearing a uniform. You gotta, we're fighting people on the streets in jeans and a t-shirt. Mm. And if they got, you know, arrested... They were taught, just say you, you know, just say you didn't do it. If they have no proof on you, the Americans just have to let you go. So he went in there, this called empathy-based listening, and th this building trust factor to, in order to get people to open up to him. And he goes into how he did it and the science behind it uh, on the show. That's in, I mean, that takes years to understand. Oh, he's a pro. Years of Super knowledge. Pro. He unpacked yeah. a lot in that interview. He did. And it, it was, and part of my problem is, and you're very good at this, I'm very ADD, I'm all over the board, or all over the place, so we're, we're talking down this, you know, path here. Like all of a sudden he stops talking, you're like, what? Yeah, and then I'll ask another question, now we're going down this path, and then we're back to this, so, anyways. No, it's, I have it sometimes, too. Like, you could have stopped talking right there, and I would have been like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's happened before. You ever do that? Like, a guest is talking, and maybe you just kind of don't Especially know what to say. Especially starting out, like, once you get past that point, right. just like, it's not Q&A, the next thing is actually paying attention and, like, and finding something and be like, oh, let's talk about that. I didn't know I was going to talk about that did, today. Did, have you ever, like, a guest is talking, and you're already in your head trying to form the next question? That's how I started, right? Yeah. But now, like, I might jot down, like, for you, maybe jot down a few things, a few of the interviews I saw, you know, yeah. pick your brain about that stuff. But for the most part, I know you're an interesting guy, you got a big personality, like, you're going to say something that's going to 
intrigue my interest and we're going to go down a different route that I, I didn't expect to go down. You know, you jot down three or four bullet points, but I know now as a conversationalist, we can talk about whatever. Do you want to you take, listen. You do. Do you got to take pot? Do you want to take podcasting full time? 100%. If I could do this and support a family or at least myself right now is what I'm doing full time. But if I could do this in the long run and support an entire family one day, that would be the dream. Interesting. Yeah. It takes a lot of hard work, though. Oh, my goodness. The business side of it Ugh. could be very unforgiving. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have Mayweather Boxing and Fitness as a sponsor right now, but, you know, building those are tough. Tough, huh? It's tough building those relationships with people, especially when money's involved, right? As you know. Well, you know, entrepreneurship, and I say this at the end of the day, because a lot of people think it's cool to be an entrepreneur, and they put it on one of their, you know, social media profiles, and I'm an entrepreneur, and I say, you know, you, know, you have to have a product or service and sell it to a customer. Yeah. And in our industry, podcasting, our product and service is our podcast, and it's potentially our reach and our listeners, and we have to go to a sponsor and say, hey, you're going to give me X amount of money, and in return, I'm going to give you, you know, visibility exactly. or something, and that's the product or service that's, that's changing hands, and that's not easy. So where can uh, we find your show on social media? I know you're on YouTube, but... Yeah, uh, basically all platforms at The David Johnson Show. YouTube is where most of our content lives. We think we have an Instagram account somewhere that's probably there. Um, Some other places. But yeah, mainly uh, YouTube, you know, Apple... Spotify, all the audio platforms at the David Johnson Show. It's funny, like no matter what kind of business you're in, having a social media platform is almost crucial these days. Yeah, Whether crucial. you're doing what you're doing, you could be in real estate, obviously in sports crucial. and entertainment, it's crucial. crucial. But in everything now. And even that's a lot of time, energy, and effort to manage those platforms. Like I see you post a lot on LinkedIn, I follow you on LinkedIn, I see the pictures you post and stuff like that. I think it's LinkedIn, I'm pretty sure it is. It's the most professional site. Yeah, but you're on yeah. LinkedIn, right? I am. Okay, because all, they're, they're all kind of just convolute now in my head, but I think it's LinkedIn 100%. where I see your stuff the most. LinkedIn's almost social. the new Twitter, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh, really? Is that what they say? Yeah. I never, I've never tweeted. I, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I, yeah. I'm just not like, one of those guys. Have you ever actually physically tweeted, though? Like, what was your first? I retweet. So maybe if oh. I'm, like, promoting an episode or promoting, like, I'm never sitting down being, like, subtweeting people and, like... I don't even know what that means. It's like a condescending tweet towards someone without actually mentioning them. Oh, you could do that? Yeah, that's what a lot of shallow people do on Twitter. Interesting. Like, yeah. if you're a big public figure, you have, like, all your haters just coming at you for no reason. Oh, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, I've never tweeted. It, that's interesting that you don't know that. Lucky yeah. you. I don't know. I don't know how to do Twitter. <laughs> I, just, I just got Instagram last year. Or I think, like, 15 months ago. So, or... A couple months prior to the pandemic, I got Instagram for the first time. I mean, how old are you? 39. Okay, that makes sense, then. <laughs> what are you saying? I'm old. Zach, let's wrap up the show. Uh, this was episode 405 of the podcast. Remember, we're sponsored by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. David Johnson, thanks so much for coming on. we got to do this again sometime very soon. But, again, we are sponsored by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. you got two more weeks before the gym opens down in South Scottsdale. Again, betonline.ag. Dallas Cowboys, Tampa Bay Buccaneers tomorrow night. The season opener for the National Football League. Zach, play that outro that you're very so proud of. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.